0: Well, good morning. We want to welcome all of you who are here in the building this morning, and also all those—is this the camera? Is that the—is <laughs> that the camera? Uh, all those who have joined with us on our live stream. Uh, I was going to kind of look at you, and uh, but I, we're so glad that you're with us today. You are in the right place. This is Western Hills Church, and uh, we are so glad you are present with us today. Um. I wanted to make one more announcement, and that is that uh, we have completed the halfway point of our annual budget, and we are at presently at $25,500 behind. And so uh, we're not taking the offering here in the building, uh, but you can still drop your offering off in the s- boxes that are located around the building, I mean, around the auditorium, and also uh, you can give online if you want to check on that. so. Well, we're glad you're here. We'd like for you to stand this great July 4th weekend and sing this great hymn of faith in our nation.
1: Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, For purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain, amen. shining sea. Oh beautiful for pilgrim feet whose stern impassioned stress a thorough fair for freedom beat across Control thy liberty in law. Oh beautiful for he rose proved in liberty. their country loved and mercy more
0: seated for just a moment you know there was a a time in our history when they're trying to decide what our national anthem would be and many people put america the beautiful forward for that Uh, and their argument was they didn't want a a a battle song a a military song as part of that we know the star-spangled banner has multiple verses and and most of them are talking about an event in history where um, patriotism stood strong uh, when Fort McHenry was uh, under assault by the British. But his last verse says this, Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved homes and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, for our cause it is just, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave." The uh, official um, motto of In God We Trust Um, was not official until Eisenhower signed it into law in 1956. It was a year after I was born. It had already been put on coins since the Civil War. But we see here that that, um, that feeling, that dependence on God started at the very beginning. It wasn't something that was brought up. There's been those that want to eliminate that from our history because they feel like it was just a recent thing that was added uh, during Eisenhower's uh, tenure as president. But as you can see from the very institution of our nation, there was a dependence on God, a trust in God. And, you know, uh, in, in many ways, those who have um, supported that and maintained it in our nation are our veterans, our military veterans. Um, Less than 1% of our population in America serves in the military. And yet, that is how our great republic has been maintained over the years. So I'm gonna ask, if there are any veterans in the building here today, I'm gonna ask you to stand. Yes. And let's give them honor today. So if you're close to one of these veterans, put your hand on them. We're going to pray for our veterans. Uh, If you're at home and you're listening to this and there's a veteran sitting there by you, place a hand on that veteran. And uh, I know it's not Veterans Day and it's not Memorial Day, but we're celebrating our independence this weekend as a nation. And none of us got to choose where we were born, right? But I thank the Lord all the time for allowing me to experience life in America and this Republic. Father, we thank you for these men and women who have served in our nation. Lord, we claim freedom in the civil sphere because you brought freedom to us in the spiritual sphere. And because we are free and free indeed we've um, maintained a system lord that are that you led through our forefathers that is the greatest expression of that freedom in the civil sphere so we bless you for that father we thank you for allowing us to be born here and we ask that you would lay your hand on the veterans and their families today Uh, lord show them your blessing and your prosperity in their lives and we pray this in jesus name Amen.
2: Hey, good morning, good morning, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Man, it's good to see you guys. Yeah. Hey, um, uh, I, I'm one of the coaches here at, at Western Hills, me and my wife. And uh, there's no picture. But I look like this. And my wife looks like this. And she's got a mask on. And she's down in the nursery area. But So if you see her, then she belongs to me. <clears throat> she's not one of the kids, don't worry. At Western Hills, we have a policy for kids wearing masks. So that's how how you can differentiate it between. Hey, this morning, I'm here because I want to help direct our attention in another form of worship, which is prayer. If you haven't been doing that already, then I'm not going to say shame on you, but you should try it. Try praying to God while you're singing. It's like like the way it should be. But we're going to do some like directed prayers where we're all focusing on the same thing at the same time. So if you are, hold on, gotcha. If you're on... The TV, on the smartphone, if you're on your big screen, cause you hooked it up, Nick Perkins, I see you. Yep, mm-hmm. If you're, or you're here with us today, we're gonna be all focused on the same prayers. So let's do that. let me get my notes. It should be on the screen behind me as well. There we go. <clears throat> what, are we gonna, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna just, uh, same thing we've been doing every single week focus on this I'm gonna give you some time to pray to God you can do it out loud you can do it in your head you can shout it if you're at your house if you're in here you can shout it if you're in here too if you that's the yeah Scott's like yeah permission okay just check it so let's do this let's pray let's thank God for the liberties he's given us let's ask God to bless our country with godly leadership who will work to secure and protect our God-given liberties Next, we want to give some, um, some thanks, some special attention to those who have sacrificed for our country. So, um, let's pray for the well-being of our servicemen and women this morning. Let's also remember to pray for their safety and for the safety and blessing of their families. Leading people is a difficult task and whether or not you've been given skills to administer well or not, then uh, it can be very difficult. I'm seeing that at at my job and uh, in my family as I try to lead, but those who are in a position of authority in our country are having those same difficulties. Whether you agree with them and their decisions or not, it's a difficult task. And so scripture encourages us to pray for our leaders and we're gonna do that specifically this morning. we um, have got presidents and mayors, governors, representatives that are um, leading us. So let's, let's do this. Let's pause and pray for our president, our governor, our mayor, other representatives that we have. And let's ask God to send revival to the leaders of our nation. And I'm gonna add, let's pray for wisdom. moment Pastor Scott Sanders is going to come up here and and preach a word for us this morning and uh, I just think this is a great time for us to offer up a prayer um, for wisdom and clarity for him as he leads us this morning to worship God so if you would join me in praying for Scott Sanders this morning and while you're at it pray for your own heart what?
0: Testing, testing. There we go. Okay, before we get started today, I want to dismiss the children. Out at this door, Mr. Stevens there, waiting for you. I want to thank the worship team this morning for um, carrying some of the weight of that. I appreciate that when I get the opportunity to speak to you. My message this morning is simple. And if you, you want to take notes uh, and title it, you can just entitle it Messenger. That's it. And I want to sh- share a story with you, but before I do that, I want to give you some background. The story will be found in Acts 5, if you want to follow along. <clears throat> uh, previous in the book of Acts we find that the Holy Spirit is dropped down on the church. And uh, there's some manifestation of that. And out of that, a crowd begins to gather and uh, question what's going on. And so Peter preaches his first sermon there at Pentecost. And he explains the effects of what they're just seeing of the Holy Spirit. And then he shares the gospel. And then in chapter 3... They, they heal a lame man. I mean, he's been laying, they take a long time to express this in, in Acts. Uh, this beggar, lame man that everybody knew about, and he was healed, and it brought a crowd. And as that crowd formed, Peter preached his second sermon. Again, it was another presentation of the gospel. And soon after that, he and John were arrested by the chief priests, other, other religious leaders of that time. And they were threatened not to speak in the name of Jesus. And of course, they had a response to that. But at this point, they were released because there was no, there was no offense for them to be charged. So they had to let them go. That's one of the reasons why they were let go. Second reason is the um, religious leaders were afraid of the crowd because they saw this great miracle happen with their own eyes. And uh, they were afraid for the crowd, which is interesting because there was a time when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were all looked up to. And by this time, there's some question about uh, their leadership. So they were released. And then beginning of chapter five, we've got this weird story about Ananias and Sapphira. People were giving to the church and they tried to deceive the Holy Spirit with their gift. And if you remember that story, they were both dropped dead and that brought great fear over the church. And this is where our story begins. So the church, in the church by the hand of the apostles, there's many signs and wonders that are being performed In fact, part of that passage says that people were bringing the sick out in the street for hopes that the the shadow of Peter would fall on them. Now, I don't know, it's not clear whether that was a superstitious idea and that was actually happening, but the passage does say they were all being healed. Now, uh, I believe those are the same signs and wonders that were being done by Jesus. And they were being done by Jesus and it affirmed his messiahship. So now Jesus is working through the church and he's affirming the apostles' ministry and the leadership of this new birth, this new church, this bride of Christ that is now on the earth. Scripture says that believers were added, men and women were added to the church and that there were actually those the scripture says there were actually those that dared to associate with them so it was still dangerous to be associated with those who followed jesus but they were all held in high esteem the scripture says so again out of jealousy the high priest which i believe this high priest uh, was a sadducee because it says the high priest and his associates got together and out of jealousy, arrested the apostles. Well, they were not just jealous, they were afraid of the crowd too. So they were careful when they, when they arrested them. But why it's significant the scripture talks about the Sadducees is this was a group of, of religious leaders who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And these guys are preaching that Jesus rose from the dead. That was a big deal to them. They laid hands on them. They put them in a public jail. And they waited till the next day. Sometime that evening, an angel of the Lord came to the jail, walked them out of the jail, unbeknownst to the the guards, walked them out of the jail. And when they got outside the jail, the angel of the Lord told them to go... To the temple, stand there, and preach the full message of this life, capital L life, this life in Christ. And so when um, it became light at the break of the day, they went to the temple and they began to preach. Now I want you to know, this was an angel of the Lord. This was not Peter's guardian angel who saw Peter in trouble and on his own initiative went and rescued Peter this is not that this is an angel of the Lord speaking to one of his messengers and telling him what to do and so the angel went rescued these men and gave them a command and they were going to be they were going to become now the messengers I need to pause the story right there. So what was the message of these messengers? They're back in the temple and they're, they're preaching. I'm assuming Peter was among them. And uh, if it was a similar message to his other two messages that we already know in Acts, this particular message was not uh, recorded for us in the scripture, but his other two messages were, and ext- extensive messages were, and so I'm just going to summarize the message at Pentecost, okay? So after explaining the presence of the Holy Spirit being a prophecy of Joel, okay, he referred to the Old Testament here, a prophecy of Joel, he, pre- he presents Jesus as affirmed by God through the miracles and wonders and signs that he did. And it says that he performed those signs in their midst. They saw them. And then he says that this innocent man was delivered over, but, but he was delivered over by a predetermined plan of God. In God's all-knowingness, he knew what was going to happen, already made a plan. Before the foundations of the worlds were laid, the plan was in place. This is part of Peter's message. And in their ignorance, they nailed him to the cross By the hands of godless men, these religious leaders utilized the Roman government to execute Jesus. And it said specifically that he died. But then to counter the Sadducees, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. Since it was impossible for Jesus to be held in death's power. And then, Peter goes back to the Old Testament again, out of Psalm 16, and he talks about how the resurrection was spoken by David in that psalm. And then he declared that David died and was buried, and we know where his tomb is, but Christ would not be abandoned to suffer decay, and God raised him up, and they all witnessed it. They all saw it. This is his message. He said he has been exalted to the right hand of God. And then it says that they had received the Father's promise of the Holy Spirit and he referred back to Pentecost. He's at Pentecost preaching this and they see and hear the the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that was promised by God from Joel. And then he finishes that message with therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Lord and Christ, Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. And you could imagine the response to that. Actually, most of Peter's earlier, early sermons didn't end well, okay? Um, you know, that sounds like the gospel, right? It sounds like the whole gospel that he just preached. As I considered that passage in Acts 5, um, I noticed that God loves to send messengers. Now, I don't have an answer for this. Sometimes God spoke specifically to people. Remember Moses out of the burning bush? That was God speaking directly to Moses. And then on Mount Sinai, when he gave uh, the law, God spoke directly to Moses. We know that God spoke directly to the prophets. He gave them things to do and things to say. And the prophets always said, Thus said the Lord. So they were hearing directly from God. Remember, Jonah was sent to Nineveh by God. Uh, I love Isaiah's uh, calling in, in Isaiah 6 when God spoke directly to Isaiah. Okay? Who will go for us? I will. I'll go. What's interesting in that calling is that um, he was going to preach and in his ministry there was going to be no ears to hear, no eyes to see. In other words, there will be no results from his preaching except that he was speaking the word of God given to him to preach. There's another example of God speaking directly to someone. Jesus had a word to say to Saul on the road to Damascus. Remember that? Why do you persecute me? And I'm not going to rest long on this, but don't we hear from the Lord regularly because of the Holy Spirit that lives in us? But you know, sometimes he sends a messenger. I mean, he sent an angel of the Lord to talk to Zacharias that they were going to have a child, and that child would be John and he would be the prophesied forerunner of the Lord. Pretty important message, but he left it to an angel. um, That angel's identified as Gabriel in the book of Luke. Gabriel also spoke to Mary. Don't be afraid to take Joseph as your husband. I'm going to conceive the, the, the Holy One in you. The Messiah will be brought forth. By you, Mary. And then Gabriel also spoke to Joseph. Scripture doesn't clarify that it's Joseph in the book of Matthew. I mean, th- that is Gabriel in the book of Matthew. I'd, I'm assuming that because he carried those other messages. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What's in her is of the Holy Spirit. Um, John the Baptist of course, was a messenger, the prophesied messenger of the of the anointed one that would come and bring salvation to the earth. And I believe you could say that God's Son would be the greatest messenger. Look at these scriptures with me. I mean, Jesus often said, When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John one fourteen says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love this passage in Hebrews 1, 3, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. This is Jesus. Paul told the Corinthians that he was the image of God and that we see the light of of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He was the greatest messenger. You know, we've been in a study called Warrior, Winning the Fight for Faith. I'd like to propose that the concept of being a messenger of the message, the gospel, is not unlike military operations. This is the 4th of July, let's talk about that. In history, there was a warrior that said, War is not an affair of chance. A great deal of knowledge, study, and meditation is necessary to conduct it well. When I read that quote, I was thinking of sermon preparation. <laughs> 500 years before the birth of Jesus, there was a book written by a Chinese philosopher and strategist, a general in the Chinese army of that day called the Art of War, studied by many in the military today. And he said this, Now the reason the enlightened prince and the wise general conquer the enemy whenever they move and their achievements surpass those of ordinary men is foreknowledge. Battles are won through foreknowledge. Now the army uses an acronym, and my son's been staying with us, and he's a former Marine. Um, There's no ex-Marines, they're all former. And um, I I asked him about this, and he said that the Marines have exact same kind of acronym, different other kind of training that supports it, but the same acronym, and it's MET-T, and those stand for certain things. The M stands for mission. What is the mission? Okay, Uh, Discerning whether it's accomplishable But there's a mission. What is it? Defining the mission. The E stands for the enemy. What is known about the enemy? His size. His location. What's his strategy? What's what's his strategy been in the past? Can we depend on him doing the same thing that he did before? That first T is terrain. You know, the land forms. How will it affect the mission uh, that includes the weather. How will the, the weather affect the mission? We're talking about the environment of the battlefield. Okay, That second T is troops. Who's available? Are they trained? Are they prepared to go wherever the commander says? The, the idea of training in the American force is so important because what made uh, the American forces and still do, what makes the American forces so formidable is that the mission was always communicated from the top all the way through to the bottom. And you'll see war movies sometimes um, where you're, a group will come into a battle area and they'll say, who's in charge here? And some corporal will stand up and say, well, I'm, I'm in charge because he's the highest ranking person. All the sergeants and all the lieutenants, they're all dead it's just a corporal living and he's in charge but he knows the mission he's been trained and he can take charge and they can go forward up that's a bad deal it is just water sorry and then the last t stands for time how much time is available is there time enough to train in preparation for this movement of troops okay so i want to relate that to our battlefield Okay, first of all, I want to talk about our mission. What is our mission? Well, the Scripture is clear that our mission is the advancement of the kingdom of God. And there's this great verse in Daniel two. And if you remember the story, there Nebuchadnezzar is having this troubling dream, and I'm not going to get into all the details of that passage. If you remember that dream, uh, it troubled him so he called all his magicians and uh, his wise men together and he wouldn't tell them the dream he said you tell me the dream and then interpret it for me okay and they couldn't do it well Daniel's name came up and Daniel clarified it wasn't going to be he that interprets it it's going to be the Lord that shows the dream because of God's all knowingness right and so He details that that dream talks about four kingdoms. The first one being the one that Nebuchadnezzar was king of, Babylon. okay, And then the Medo-Persian kingdom was going to come. And there was going to be a Grecian kingdom that come. And then there was going to be a Roman kingdom that, that that comes. And he detailed all those kingdoms. And out of that, he says this in verse 44. In the days of those kings... Babylonian, Persian, Grecian, Roman kings, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. And we know that during the Roman kingdom, is when Jesus was born and the Messiah came on the earth. Okay. Nebuchadnezzar later would affirm, and I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar ever became a, a Yahweh follower, okay? But even uh, in his um, even as, a, as a, a secular king, he, he clarified that God's kingdom, Yahweh's kingdom, would endure from generation to generation. Now, now not only was it prophesied in in, uh, Daniel, but Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He preached what it was like. He talked about its value. He told his disciples who would enter into it and who would not enter into it. And he did this throughout his ministry. He even affirmed John's statement, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached that same message in his ministry. But then you know what? The church caught it. It was the message of the church. Listen in Acts eight twelve. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. In Acts 19.8, Paul was speaking and he said, and he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. By the way, here's here's what he used. Look at Acts 28.23. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. At this point, Paul was under house arrest. And he was explaining to them by solemnly, solemnly, solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Church, this is our, this is our mission, the advancement of the kingdom of God. Well, what about the enemy? There's only one enemy. And I, I, I struggle with this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And we know his strategy. It's not changed over the ages. Well, who is not the enemy? Democrats are not the enemy. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Abortionists are not the enemy. Criminals aren't the enemy. And as much as I get all emotional about it, haters of America are not the enemy. The ones who want to destroy our history and tear things down. And, and um, it's just, that's not it. Saul wasn't an enemy of the early church. He was a killer. In the name of religion, he killed believers, Saul. But he wasn't the enemy. We've got to grasp that, there's only one enemy. What about the terrain? You know, your environment, your influence is unique to anybody else in this room, as is mine. There are people that you have influence with that would not sit and listen to me. I have no influence there. My environment doesn't allow for it. I I can really talk easily to musicians, okay? Maybe some of you can't, but you have a realm of influence that I don't have, and I've got a realm of influence that you don't have. You know what, I can go and talk to my neighbors, but probably you wouldn't have enough influence there unless you came and hung out with my neighbors, as I don't have much influence in your neighborhoods either, right? That is the terrain. There are those in whose lives you have influence that I have none. Workplaces affect that. Neighborhoods affect that. Your skills and hobbies affect that. You have been uniquely prepared for the mission of advancing the kingdom. You have been uniquely prepared. What about troops? Are you an available and trained troop? Are you prepared to go wherever the commander says? I mean, the angel of the Lord said, go to the temple, preach the whole message of this life. And what did they do? It got to be light, they went to the temple. They just went. They just went where the commander told them to go. Listen, a good commander anticipates the conflict, establishes a strategy, and knows how to effectively use his troops. And then he communicates to his subordinates. Our commander, Jesus, knew of the conflict before he created man. He set a strategy with the Godhead for victory. And has, throughout history, effectively moved people. Individual messengers, he's effectively moved in every nook and cranny of the earth. Through all of history. And he communicates to his people. If you if you've been a believer for very long, you know that God wants to be known, and he wants to be known by you. Well, what about time? It seems like there's always a lot of time to study, to plan, to train. In the military, we, we spend a lot of time training. They want um, what we do on a battlefield to be as natural as possible. Um, they don't want you to be unsure about what you're going to do when you get there. So it's constant training. The military will take a lot of time for these activities. But at some point, at some historical point, the mission begins. The operation happens. Um, We were in Branson last weekend, and we got to see Noah. And uh, you know Branson, so I don't have to say anything there about how they depicted it. Of course, there's a lot of fictional elements to it, but they kept true to the story to a point. We have no idea how long it took Noah to build the ark. A lot of people say 120 years. That's how it was portrayed in, in this deal. Um, really, his, when, he was, when he received the judgment message, he didn't have sons that were born yet, and we knew that his sons helped him. So there's been a lot of different estimates, maybe 20 years at the minimum, maybe 75 years at the maximum, but it took him a while to build the ark. What we do know is that God spoke... A judgment on the earth, and that judgment was not fulfilled for 120 years. But guess what happened after 120 years? The rains began to fall. Noah and his family, though all, it was open for anybody to get into that ark, but it was only Noah and his family that went into the ark. God closed the door, and there was massive destruction. The operation had taken place. There was all this time. then the mission started from what we know of biblical prophecy jesus could return at any time time is short Um, are you prepared are you trained enough to be a messenger Battles are won through foreknowledge, and that's why we depend on God's messengers, because the one who knows all is the one who's sending the messengers. So here in our story, we have the messenger, the angel of the Lord, sending messengers to the temple. Well, how about the rest of the story? So again, the high priest calls for the council. This is his associates, the scripture says, that are Sadducees, but the whole senate of the sons of Israel come together, which includes Pharisees and scribes, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. And they sent orders to bring these men out of the prison. So some officers came to the prison. They found it locked and secured. Guards in place, they open up, and the men are gone, and they have no way to answer for it. I mean, they're confused. They have no idea what's, what's going on. The scripture says that somebody came and said, the guys you're seeking are in the temple, and they're preaching there. They're teaching there. So they went to the temple, and uh, They arrested the men, the apostles, brought them back to the court and they were careful not to be violent with this arrest because of the fear of the crowd again. Actually, the scripture says they were afraid of being stoned, interesting. So the high priest questions them right before the council, he says, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching And intend to bring this man's blood on us. You're going to turn all the people against us. And this, I have to read Peter's response. Because this is great. It begins in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, you know, that didn't go well in the court when they heard it. They were cut to the quick, according to the scripture, and they intended to kill them. That is... Their operating procedure, they did it to Jesus. They had no basis for doing it, but they intended to kill him and they did. It's interesting in the scripture when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and everybody began to report that they saw Lazarus alive now, that their intent was to kill Lazarus so that it wouldn't be believed. That's their mode of operation. By the way, that, that looseness with life is the same spirit we live with today. Worldwide, but we're seeing it raise its ugly head in America. That in the, the protest world, which peaceful protest is what our republic allows, we have people who are willing to just haphazardly take lives. Just to prove they can, I guess. It's the same spirit that's right here. Get, get, get rid of anything that is contrary to what you believe. Some, someone stands up in this meeting, Gamaliel. You guys rem, might remember Gamaliel. He's mentioned another time in Scripture when Paul is, is giving reasons why um, his position in society was so high. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, remember? And he was taught by Gamaliel. Not just any teacher. He was taught by Gamaliel. So Gamaliel stands up in the midst of this. And by the way, Paul's not Paul yet. He's Saul. And he's out there after believers. And I don't know if he's still under Gamaliel's tutelage or not. I don't know that. But there's that connection. And so he orders the men to be taken out of the room. The apostles. And then he tells the men that are in the council there, he said, you need to take care what you do with these guys. And he recalls some history. He says, you know, there's this guy, Theudas, who had a movement for a while. He had over 400 men following him. And he was killed, and his men just scattered, and nothing, nothing became of it. And then there was another guy, Judas of Galilee, and he gained a following. And then He died, and his people were scattered. And he said, you need to be careful what you do with these men, because if it's just of men, just like those movements are going to go away, it's going to go away. It's not going to amount to anything. But if truly the Lord is behind this, you'll be fighting God. They took his advice. The council did. Uh, They called the apostles back in. Um, They flogged them. (laughs) Interesting that they did that. And they again ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they released them. And uh, when the apostles came in contact with others, they didn't talk about, man, we got flogged and... And uh, we were unfairly arrested, and that wasn't their response. Their response was, we rejoiced that we were counted worthy to suffer for the name. And guess what they did? Every day, in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. That's the story. In in chapter 6 and 7, we get the story of Stephen and Saul standing over his stoning. But his, his message, you should read sometime, very similar to Peter's messages covering the same material, the full gospel of Christ. That is the story. So, What does that mean for us today? Let's kind of bring this to a close. If you are a believer today, I want you to consider for a moment who were the messengers that came to you. What messengers did the Lord send to you that brought you into the kingdom? Maybe there are more than one. I know of one that actually led me my, my older brother was actually a messenger in the process. And it was a simple message. You got to do this. I can remember those words coming out of his mouth. You got to do this. <laughs> I, mean, I hadn't at that point, but that, the Lord used that. And then there was a man in that camp that walked me through the gospel. Who was in your life that did that? I want to take just a moment for you to thank the Lord for them. Their obedience. Now, what can we learn from the messengers from this story? First, first, God's earthly messengers. Are regular people. They're just regular people. If Peter was standing here before you, he would say, I'm no different than you guys. Gamaliel understood. He called out a couple of, couple of guys who were just regular people, but they were trying to do a movement on their own. But he also understood that regular guys, empowered by God, are indestructible they're just regular people just like you and I listen messengers are committed to knowing God his person his ways and his mission you know the advancement of the kingdom of God they're committed to that I tried to think of any messenger in the scripture that was sent that did not already have a vibrant relationship with the Lord. I couldn't think of one. Most of them, when they were called, broke into praise. Moses' song, Mary's um, Magnificat, when she began to just bless the Lord for his calling on her life. There's a hunger to know God and to know his character and his nature and his ways. Messengers are available and obedient. We saw that in the men that were sent. They trust the commander. Now, he's the one that's given the message. He's the one that's all-knowing. They trust him. And it's easy to be obedient to a trustworthy commander. In the, in the military, that's, that's, that's really important to trust your commander, trust your leaders. Many times, guys on the battlefield would go to the sergeant that's been out there with them for most of the battle, rather than the new second lieutenant that just got on the site. Though he outranks the sergeant, the wise second lieutenant depended on the leadership of the sergeant, okay? They trusted him. This is really important. We find out that messengers represent, with all authority, the one giving the message. When we carry a message to others, we carry it under the authority of our commander. That's really important for us to grasp. That may help us deal a little bit with the fear of talking to somebody about the Lord. And probably following that, if a messenger is rejected, the one who sent him or her was rejected first. Jesus said it this way in John 15, 18. He said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. So it allows me as a messenger not to be worried about the result. Okay? I just rejoice that I'm worthy to suffer for the name, right? Folks, we are the messengers. I want to share these scriptures with you to kind of put a stamp on that. Malachi 2.7 says this, For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Do we really understand that? The Lord of hosts. Okay, the Lord of all the angelic beings that he can use as a messenger, and he chooses to use us. Why do I say that? Because 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This gets really personal, folks. The God, the Lord of hosts, is calling you, personally calling you to be his messenger, to proclaim the excellencies of him. You've experienced it. You've been called out of the darkness into the light. You know what what it feels like to be redeemed, freed, part of the kingdom now? A royal priesthood. We are priests. As for the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, men should seek instruction from the priest's mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. You are a priest. 2 Corinthians 8.23 says this, As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you, As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches. A glory to Christ. We are the messengers. And what of the message? The message hasn't changed through all the ages. Think about that. The message that Peter preached at Pentecost... And then later, after the lame man was healed. And then the apostles in the temple. And there were men and women being added every day to the kingdom. That same message was preached during the early church fathers. 300 years after Jesus was born. And it was the same message that brought people into the kingdom. The exact same message. And then through all the dark ages, as as much as the enemy attempted to close off the message and keep the people in ignorance, those that came into the kingdom came into the kingdom through the same message preached. It was hidden for a while. For a while there, the common folk didn't even understand what was written because the word was in that wasn't even in their tongue and they depended on religious leaders to interpret it well we know where that happened what happens with that we saw it in the in the book of acts it's the same message that was preached during the reformation in fact the lights the lights came on and there was a return to the full gospel during the reformation It's the same message that brought British citizens and American citizens to the Lord during the Revolutionary War. It's the same message that brought rebels and the Union soldiers, both sides. I mean, there's all kinds of stories during the Civil War of revival in both camps. See, the enemy really wasn't flesh and blood the true battle was happening somewhere else but the same message brought them both into the kingdom it's the same message that was proclaimed during the world wars when German forces and American forces went out on the battlefield during one Christmas evening and sang Silent Night together it's the same message today it's the same message. It hasn't changed through all the ages. The second point is the message can be distorted. I mean, it wasn't but a decade that passed before Paul and Peter and other writers in the gospel had to challenge folks in the church because they were believing. A different gospel which which Paul clarified isn't really a different gospel there's only one gospel but don't be deceived um, all through uh, uh, the book of Galatians Philippians 2nd Peter 1st uh, John they were they were constantly talking about false teachers and false teaching in the church So it can be distorted, and it's been distorted over the ages. And if you stop and think the distortions that are happening today, there aren't any new distortions. They're the same over the ages. Third point about the message is the Old Testament stories support and give light to the message. Did you notice in all the stories, the, the sermons that were preached, the, the sermon preacher, whether it was Peter or others, brought the Old Testament in and, and walked through and reasoned with the people through the law, through the prophets. They used the Old Testament scriptures to affirm the message of the gospel. I think that's neat. You go back and you find out Jesus did that when he, after he was raised from the dead. Those days that he was on the earth, he sat down with men and he talked to them about, I mean, he, he showed them the prophecies in the Old Testament and how they referred to him. And their, li- their eyes were open. Well, they took that and they went and preached that in their messages. The Old Testament supports that. That's why we story in our small groups. Not just New Testament stories, Old Testament stories. Because they give support, they give light to the message, and I think this is really important for us to understand. The message will be received by some, but will more likely be rejected. Hear what I'm saying. Most of the time you share the message it's going to be rejected in our day. We don't have to decide who to share that message with. I, I'm preaching this to me. I don't need to decide who the message goes to to, determine, to predetermine, well, they're not going to receive it. So I don't need to say it. No, the message is just the message. It will mostly be rejected. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it. That's as true today as it was in his day. But what was Jesus' response to the rejecters? You know, when his own people rejected him, he said this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, and stones those sent to her how often i wanted to get how often i wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it or luke says you were unwilling I guess the ultimate picture of Jesus and his rejectors is on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. They, <laughs> they know not what they do.
1: <clears throat> Your word will be
0: the last word.
1: YOUR PROMISES WILL STAND FOREVERMORE. MAN'S THOUGHTS AND ALL HIS PLANS WILL COME TO AN END. BUT YOUR WORD WILL BE THE LAST WORD. Your word says I'm forgiven. Your covenant says you will always be with me. And though some may scoff. darkest night, though troubles come and go, in my heart I'll can see with his eyes, claiming to be wise, they became as fools instead, but Lord, I'm banking all my faith on the truths of what you've said. your word will be the last
0: Compassion for the rejectors. So (laughs) let's go and be a messenger of that word. Okay? You're dismissed this morning.